Yeah, and it's a great place to start because a lot of times people think of estate planning as planning for death, and the reality is, is the planning starts earlier. We're really planning for incapacity before we get to death. It's time for the Retirement Reality Podcast with the founder of Principal Preservation Services, Mike Koyanen. Welcome into the Retirement Reality Podcast. I am Ben George. Mike Coyne will be with us in just a second with a conversation with Patrick Bowley. This is going to be the first part of a two-part episode on estate planning. It's a very important piece of the retirement puzzle, and we want to make sure we give it its due diligence today on the podcast. I'll remind you too, once you get done, you can find this episode and all others online at principalpreservationservices.com. And while you're there, there's a lot of the resources to access from the team at Principal Preservation Services. But without further ado, let me hand it over to Mike Coynan for today's part one conversation with Patrick Bowley. I want to uh, thank everybody listening in today. And um, there's a reason I, I brought an estate planner <laughs> uh, attorney here onto the program today. So uh, I want to welcome Patrick Bowley. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. And so you know, we, we talk a lot about finances, retirement planning for all these episodes, and it's so important to be talking and addressing uh, the estate side of things because, you know, you've been working for, you know, 30, 40 plus years accumulating all these assets. And what I've been finding through the years is that uh, people just don't focus on the estate planning side. Um, you know, they renew their homeowner's insurance and do taxes every year and do maintenance on their house. But what do they, they don't look at everything they've actually built their whole estate and not even focused to protect that. So Patrick, I want you to bring, uh, you know, talk a little bit about your background. Now, he's an attorney for Eckberg Lammers. They have a couple locations right in Hudson, Wisconsin, where one of my offices is, and also in Stillwater, Minnesota, just north of where my other office is in Woodbury. So uh, they have the two locations, Minnesota and Wisconsin. And uh, Patrick, just share a little bit about your background, where, where you're from, you know, what school that you went in, which you have some litigation background, tax background as well. So go ahead. Sure. Well, so the joke in my family is I, I, I started out in Wisconsin and I'm kind of, kind of slowly moving back out east because uh, when I was a kid, at four years old, I was living in Milwaukee. We moved up to the Twin Cities, uh, moved to uh, Minnetonka and uh, grew up in Minnetonka, went to Hopkins High School, Carleton College for undergraduate, and then ended up going to the U of M for law school. So slowly moving from the western suburbs to uh, Minneapolis, and then ultimately the law firm I was with moved to St. Paul. And after I graduated from law school, I was a litigator for a number of years, uh, was involved in uh, complex insurance coverage disputes, uh, typically involving uh, multi-million dollar losses, whether it was uh, pollution or asbestos, and was involved in litigating for several years. But in that type of business, uh, you don't have as much direct client contact as you'd like, and you want to build sort of a business for yourself as well. And so after doing that for a number of years, I decided to head out on my own, build my own client base, began to develop a real appreciation for estate planning in particular. I kind of feel like it's God's work because we're trying <laughs> to uh, help everyone uh, make sure that, you know, I'm fine that we have taxes to raise for our, our government and for our defense and for our education, uh, but I also want to make sure that people are only paying the taxes that they need to pay and that they're not necessarily paying more than they, uh, than they otherwise have to. So the more I got into it, the more I began to appreciate that 
Uh, I needed to build my knowledge base on that so that I could help my clients better. And so after doing that for a few years, I realized I had to, had to get a better education. So I went back to school, went to Georgetown Law School, got a uh, LLM in tax and a certificate of estate planning. And then I connected with a uh, adjunct faculty member out there and worked with her and her firm for the better part of a year to see how they were handling uh, high asset estates. Uh, in many ways, because I could see the application coming back in particular to Minnesota, where we actually are one of the few states that have an estate tax. So I uh, came back to Minnesota, continued my solo practice, and then connected with Eckberg Lammers uh, to take over for a partner who had been doing it for a number of years for uh, in estate planning at Eckberg Lammers. And so uh, I've been there now for the last three years. Awesome. And, you know, Patrick, you've done a wonderful job. Uh, we've referred a lot of clients to you and there's other attorneys that are you know in rural Wisconsin we've used but uh, we've been very happy with uh, you know the clients have been really happy with you know the work you've done and I went to brought you on the show if <laughs> if you if you weren't so um, and obviously we don't get paid for referrals or anything like that it's just we, we I send referrals to people I could trust it was going to be direct reflection of me and my business and uh, by the way I thought my business was doing God's work, but you said you're doing God's work. And- I think we're on the same side of this here. We're, we're both trying to help people uh, yeah. do the best they can. Uh, life is challenging in so many ways. You, you wanna, it's hard to earn a buck, and so you want to make sure you're making the best use of it as you go. Yeah, uh, good answer. <laughs> good politically correct answer. Yeah, so uh, what I want to focus here on this first, this is going to be a two-part episode here. We're going to talk about, of course, the details of estate planning. And, of course, when you talk about details, this could be, you know, an eight-part series, but we're just going to break it into two. What I want to focus on in this episode here is, you know, the living side. While you're alive, uh, before passing, what kind of documents do you really need? And and so uh, let's focus on these living documents. So uh, let's start with that healthcare directive. So, you know, what, what's the benefit of having a healthcare directive? And uh, should be, if you're Minnesota, you move to Wisconsin, or, you know, they state-specific, state what, what do those look like? Yeah, and it's a great place to start because a lot of times people think of estate planning as planning for death, and the reality is is the planning starts earlier. We're really planning for incapacity before we get to death. So mm-hmm. healthcare directive, you're doing two things, uh, and you, you make a great point. Minnesota and Wisconsin each have different requirements, each have different language. You can have a Minnesota healthcare directive that could probably get used in Wisconsin and vice versa, but typically the doctors and the, the staff are used to seeing uh, the specific, the state-specific form. So uh, you're doing a couple of different things. The first thing you're doing is you're appointing an agent. You know, in Minnesota, we're talking about it as a healthcare agent. In Wisconsin, we're talking about it as a healthcare power of attorney. And what that person is doing is this is a trusted person uh, who cares about you and who also understands you, so understands your values. Because recognize that you're going to give that person some directives Mm -hmm. about what you want to do in case uh, you wind up in certain circumstances, terminal condition, for example. But I always feel like the most important part of that directive is the appointment of of someone who cares about you, who's actually going to be recognized by the hospital to speak for you if you can't speak for yourself or if you can't understand what the doctor is saying to you. Because in all those other situations where you can speak and you understand what's being uh, presented to you, you're making your own decisions. It's only if one of those two things doesn't apply that you now need that person to come in. 
And so because they care about you and because they care about your values, uh, you've got someone who is going to, that you trust to make the right decisions about you for your well-being and also for your values. Okay, great. Now, you know, we have that living will, which is part of that. And uh, we can always remember that, uh, that national story about Terry Schiavo down in Florida, who became a, you know, a vegetable and uh, she, they didn't have any living documents. And so her husband, if you remember, you know, he said, let's just pull the plug. She's a vegetable. She's not going to recover. Her parents says, no, we want her to live. It became a big national story, all because they didn't have those documents in place. And I know that's, you know, one, one arena, but reality is all these little cases are very similar that are happening that aren't getting the national attention. Now, there's a specific statute that really needs to be in place in these documents. And what we're finding is, you know, a lot of these uh, clients that come in here, they have, I call them these throwaway uh, uh, living wills. You know, they get from the clinics, the hospitals, they last six months to a year, they fill them in, they throw them away, they got to come back, they fill them in. And I'm not a fan of those because what I found is, you know, they're good for a specific like um, hospital organization, maybe Health East or Alina. And if you're not in that organization, they're really not good. And what I have found and what I've talked to other attorneys about in the past was they don't even have the HIPAA statute in those forms. And I, I don't know if it's a reason because they want to protect their assets if they don't want to be incriminating themselves because what if they administered something wrong? They'd have to release those uh, all the exact medical records. But I'm always a fan. I said, go speak to an estate planning attorney who actually is going to put your best interest first. And you need to have that HIPAA statute that's been around since 1996. Do you want to just explain what that HIPAA statute does? Yeah, and uh, you raise a lot there. So uh, let me start with the HIPAA statute and then let me go back and respond to some okay. of the things you've said because they're all great points. So the HIPAA statute, what this is doing is it's protection of your personal records. Um, and obviously, you don't want the whole world knowing, or I wouldn't want the whole world knowing what, what's in my healthcare records for no reason other than it's, it's private. But you do for certain trusted people, particularly if they're the ones who are coming in and making uh, decisions about your well-being, you'd like to have that be an informed decision. And, and if they're heading down a road that doesn't necessarily make sense in light of some prior existing conditions or whatever, um, you want them to be able to understand what's going on. And you want them to be in a position, frankly, to challenge some of the assumptions that the doctors may be making in terms of uh, where they think your health care should be headed. That's, that's part of why you appointed these people as agents. So the HIPAA release really is an important component of that to allow you to, you know, your agent to look at your medical records and have a sense of what's going on in a deeper way. Now, in terms of whether that exists as a standalone document or exists within the uh, healthcare directive itself uh, is going to depend a little bit on, on the law. Uh, and and there, there is a provision of the HIPAA release um, law that actually says it should exist as a standalone document. Mm. So okay. that may be one reason why you're not seeing it. Although I, I got to hasten to add, I have seen it in plenty of healthcare directives, and it is a component of our Wisconsin healthcare directive that we included in the document. But even in Wisconsin, we, we have it in the directive, and then we also have a separate standalone piece that goes with it. Back to your earlier point on Terry Schiavo and, and also just in terms of how some of these do-it-yourself forms work. Uh, to me, first of all, on, on Terry Schiavo, 
it's a big reason why you want a healthcare directive because you're trying to avoid that fight on the tail end. But the other thing that you're trying to do is you're trying to take the pressure off of the person that you appointed as agent. A lot of times you're appointing your spouse or even your children to serve as your healthcare agent once they get to be over the age of 18. And that can be a really big load on their shoulders, kind of a psychological burden for them to have to think about whether I'm going to pull the plug on mom or dad. Yeah. You know, and so you want as a parent for them to understand that you've thought about this in advance. You planned for this situation. You understand that if it comes to this, you're okay with them making that decision. And they should go forward knowing that this is a choice that you helped make for them. Right. You know, so that's one of the reasons why you want to have a healthcare directive and why that terminal condition language is, <coughs> is so important. But then the other part about it too is, you know, you're trying to, uh, like I said in the Terry Schiavo instance, you're trying to avoid the dispute. Uh, and you're also just trying to make sure that, you know, you've got your wishes on paper. Now, last point, which is on the issue of the do-it-yourself uh, forms. And, you know, you want to go and do it yourself. You can go to the state attorney general's office in Minnesota. They've yeah, got you a go form. to Office Max, you yeah. can order them online yeah. now, right? And it's fine, but the problem is, is that you don't know what the languages that the doctors are gonna to consider to be important as part of making their decision. So right. there's a lot of these things that really feel good to put on paper. What are your values? What are the things, well, I want a nice long life, I care about quality of life. Yeah, that's great. Those are all helpful, <laughs> right. but not helpful enough to really navigate the situations where the doctors need specific directive language to let them know, or, or your agent needs specific language to let right. that person know that under specific circumstances where you're in a terminal condition, life support can be withdrawn. Yeah, and I've seen some of these uh, freebies that you get from a clinic or hospital, and they're literally a page and a half or two pages. I'm like, they're gonna make decisions on your life based off of this skinny little document that's lacking verbiage and detail. Yeah. Please understand, I, I, I'm i a Catholic, and so I, I get this stuff. I, I It's important to me. People want to put their religious beliefs into the document, yeah. and I will act, I have a Catholic directive that I work from to try and help uh, people of that faith, uh, you know, get their wishes on, on paper that's consistent with church teachings, but that are also giving direction to the hospitals as well that they need. So you're you're trying to strike that balance, but the, I think the mistake that people frequently make in these do-it-yourself situations is they load it up with a lot of kind of lauded, you know, laudable concepts, but that aren't at the end of the day necessarily uh, as useful as they should be when right. push comes to shove. Yeah, I have a quick little story. Um, about 15 years ago, uh, my friends uh, working with a different estate planning law firm, and he showed up at this gentleman's house in the summertime, the gentleman, gentleman still had Christmas lights on his house in July and just kind of joking. He said, oh, it's Christmas here in July. And he's like, well, kind of told the story that he, his wife passed away like right after Christmas. And he just hasn't had, you know, motivated to do anything and make the changes. And he said, not just losing her, turned my life upside down, but now I lost my kids. And he's like, why did you lose your kids? Well, what happened was uh, they didn't have a living will. They didn't have health care directives. And when she got, uh, she went into a coma, um, I think it was a stroke, I believe, he had to get guardianship over her and make that decision to pull the plug because they've talked about it and that he knew what her wishes were. They just didn't have it in writing. And so when they actually, he actually got 
told him to pull the plug. She wasn't going to recover. Now that his kids say, you killed mom, and we don't want nothing to do with you anymore. So it's not just he lost his kids, and he said, I lost my grandkids, and that his whole life was turned upside down. So, I mean, that's that's one extreme, but reality is that's how some uh, – um, hopefully that family's restored today, but you need to have these documents in place. You don't need to have one of these – family catastrophic events happening in your family. It's an incredibly subtle point uh, on healthcare directives. Uh, one of the often overlooked concepts is that in the healthcare directive, you may be appointing who's going to serve as guardian so that you don't have to have a court proceeding in order to uh, clarify. Or if you do have a court proceeding, you've already signaled to the judge this child, but not this child, yeah. you know, or this child first. And then if this child doesn't work out, we'll go with the next one, you yeah. know. And and that type of, uh, again, that type of direction up front to your family, to the legal system can really end a lot of conflicts before they even start. Let's jump to this little thing, uh, question. I, I know it's been brought up um, in my practice the last half a dozen years is um, what if you have a, a you know, college student because now they're a legal adult you're paying for their college or helping with college. And now if something happens, you want to get medical records, you don't have access to it. So I'm a big fan. If you're, you're still, they're on your, your health insurance or you're paying for college, you know, they're, even they're adults, I think it's wise to get uh, healthcare directors for that college student so you have access to their medical records. And also we're going to jump into the financial piece in a little bit. You also you, know, you don't even have access to their, their report cards unless they show it to you. Uh, but if you have the right documents, you can get that as well. Yeah, it's such a great point, and few people consider that, uh, and it's absolutely true. And, uh, they're an adult now. Uh, they're entitled to appoint an agent. I think if you were to ask any college or most college students, let's put <laughs> it that way, who their agent would be, uh, most of them would point towards mom and dad, yeah. and it's a, it's kind of a no-brainer. And yet, uh, because the document isn't in place, you've now thrown up some challenges to uh, cutting through things and and making those decisions if the worst should happen. Okay. Now let's jump on to the financial side. So we talk about well, maybe before I jump to financial, can you just give me the definition of durable? Because I know there's there's standard power of attorneys and then there's durable power of attorneys, and I will say. To my clients, durable is what you want for estate planning. If you're doing some maybe business documents with your partner, you don't, you want to have standard power of attorneys for those, but you want to explain what durable is. Yeah, so I start with this, which is, Mike, if you hired me to go sue someone and I started a lawsuit in a court of law and then you got in a car accident and I couldn't talk to you to get further direction on how to proceed with the lawsuit, um, I'd have to stop my work for you. I'd have to you know, just put the paper down and, and mm. contact the judge and say, we have to pause here. The concept of a durable power of attorney, again, this is a, a financial document where you are basically appointing an attorney in fact, and we'll talk about that in a minute, to stand in your shoes for everything you could do as a financial human being. It's durable, you want it to be durable because we're planning for incapacity. And the concept here is we have a provision that will say, that if something happens to Mike and he's in the hospital and he can't speak for himself, the appointment to me or whoever you've designated on the document as your attorney in fact continues notwithstanding your incapacity. So durable simply means it survives your incapacity. As long as you're alive, that power of attorney is in effect. Uh, the only way you pull it back is through a revocation. Right. 
And I was joking, you know, if I had a business partner and I, I wouldn't give him a durable power of attorney because I don't want him to be able to, to put everything in his name or her name if I was, you know, in a coma somewhere. So you give your business partners, maybe non-family members, a standard power of attorney in certain lot of cases. So they can't um, affect your financial situation. Yeah, and there are so many different kind of concepts within a power of attorney that there are there are switches you can turn on or off in terms of is this person going to be able to handle real estate for you yeah you know, maybe you don't want them to maybe it's just a specific bank account um, people will experience powers of attorney sometimes in the context of a specific institution where you'll go to a bank and for just that bank or that bank account, you will designate a particular person who has power of attorney duties. Now, in the context of estate planning and planning for incapacity, we're trying to find someone, again, a trusted person, oftentimes a family member or a friend, who's going to be able to handle broader powers and do more things. You okay. know, uh, And it really, the range of things that you can have under a durable power of attorney is anything you can imagine that involves money at all. So, Mike, if you get hit by a bus uh, and your won't attorney, happen. Okay, it, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, your attorney, <laughs> or, or you come down with COVID, or you, yeah. your attorney, in fact, <clears throat> thinks that you should bring a lawsuit against the the bus driver who hit you. Yeah. Um, you don't think of that necessarily as being a financial thing, or that's not what typically leaps to mind in terms of what a, a power of attorney can do for you. Right. And yet. That gives you sort of a sense of the broad scope in which, you know, that person standing in your shoes as a financial person can act on your behalf. Yeah. And I, little things like even when, you know, this is already um, over eight years ago when my wife gave birth to twins and uh, trying to pay the cell phone bill. <laughs> and the cell phone bill was in her name. They wouldn't even take money from me. So little things like that, like if your spouse is laid up somewhere, now of course my wife is fine, but in certain situations where maybe they're they're maybe in an induced coma or they get in a car accident, bills have to be paid. You need to talk to uh, creditors and accounts or certain names. Sometimes a lot of clients come in here. He has her accounts. You know, he has his accounts. She, I should say, she has his accounts. She has her accounts. Jokingly, but uh, sometimes they each have their own accounts and they have joint accounts. And so you want to make sure that you have that form in place uh, for those reasons. And just even talking to the bill and uh, you know, these billing, uh, the creditors or the hospital paying the bills and the insurance companies, you need to have these documents in place. Uh, it could cause a big headache if you don't do that. Another thing that a lot of um, clients have come in here and said, well, I already added my child's, child's name to my bank account or uh, my grandson's name. I said, well... I said, I don't know if it necessarily, there's a lot better protection provisions if you do a durable power of attorney because there's other things like if they get sued, no, your money is their money as well. Uh, if you're tied up in those bank accounts, I've, I, we had a situation where the client had that or the daughter got in a major car accident, but she was joint owner of her parents' account, which had a lot of money. They went and seized that money. Um, and also little things like if you have a child or grandchild that has gambling issues, drug addiction, just financial issues, you know, they can just go drain that account without doing anything illegal. Right. Which gets back to the point that you have to be really careful about who you choose mm -hmm. as your as your power of attorney. You want to choose someone uh, who you really trust. But let me raise another one, okay. uh, you know, that, that I always think of as, as kind of the key thing for a financial power of attorney, which is, and I actually had a 
a friend of mine last night who was telling me, so his mother-in-law is on death's door. She's in the hospital. Mm. Uh, doctors are giving her just a couple of weeks before, you know, uh, unfortunately she may pass. And it's a moment where you as the agent for that person who's in the hospital can make some last minute decisions that may, for finances, that may be the difference between having a great big mess on your hands or having a really manageable situation. You know, yeah. that power of attorney can go to Mike's office and talk to Mike about, uh, you know, taking care of the financial assets and setting them up in a way so that they will be distributed to the children of the decedent in equal shares so that uh, that's an asset that no longer has to go through the court system, you know, if something happens to uh, the principal on that power of attorney. So that moment, that opportunity, you know, a, as an estate planner, the, the, one of the common jokes we have in it is, if you tell me when you're going to die yeah. and <laughs> what the tax laws are at the time you right. die, yeah. I can write the best estate plan in the world for you. Mm. Well, now you've designated someone as your financial agent. And now you're in the hospital and you've arrived at that moment where we may know how you're going to die or when you're going to die. And we may know what the tax laws are at the time you die. Yeah. And we know what your wishes are. And the ability as an agent to carry out those wishes in the final minutes before you die. Yeah, you got to get on your Harley and get to the bank and get to yeah. Mike and, and, and make sure you're taking care of all those things. But it's a great asset to have on hand, and it's often underlooked, and yet it's it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, it takes time, you know, to get documents done. People say, "When should I get these documents done?" I said, "Now, when you're of sound mind, because you just don't know when things can change." We all have stories of friends, family members where uh, something unexpected happened—a car accident. You know, I had a friend that slipped on his on Super Bowl Sunday a few years ago, slipped on ice, fell on his head, was unconscious in the hospital for three to five days. Could have been, been really bad, but he recovered. But you don't know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, I've had years ago people come to my seminars where the uh, estate planning attorney that I was associated with years, years ago, about a decade ago, People said, I was told to come here because, you know, we got early signs of Alzheimer's dementia. I go, well, you need to jump on things right away before things get really bad. And uh, otherwise, it's too late. And if you don't have these documents in place and you have to get guardianship, conservatorship, and th that can be so expensive. W w what's the cost of that? Could yeah. be your whole estate. A whole estate, and it could be... Uh a lot of acrimony, as you pointed out earlier, among your family members as well. Yeah. Well, Patrick, we're going to wrap up this episode here. I just want to thank you for this. We're going to jump into a second one. But um, what's the time frame typically if somebody wants to get these living documents put in place? You know, what's the process look like and how, what's the time frame? I know they're not super expensive just to get these documents in place. That's why I encourage people to get them done. But what does that process look like? So, uh, you know, we get a call to the office or I get an email from someone who wants to do this. I'm typically sending them a questionnaire just so I get some information. A lot of times, you know, uh, Mike, particularly your clients, they come well prepared and, and it's, it's very easy to, uh, to get that information. And then, you know, usually within the span of, you know, we have a meeting, we talk through these things, uh, and then I will quote a price at the end of the meeting or at some point in the meeting so everyone has an understanding of what it's going to cost. Uh, the consultation, at least up front, is uh, free. Uh, and then uh, once we agree on the price, we go forward. It usually takes a couple of weeks to get the documents to the client, have the client look them over, 
and uh, and then we get them in to sign. You know, within a week after that, if people are on an, on an expedited time frame for whatever reason, health issues or going out of town or whatever, we can usually accommodate that and make arrangements to make it happen faster. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, I hope the audience will get some good, useful information. Uh, if you want more information, reach out to Patrick Boley at Eckberg Lammers. Again, two locations, Stillwater, uh, Minnesota, and Hudson, Wisconsin. Or you can contact our office here at Principal Preservation. I'll give you our Woodbury number, 651-414-0016. We can forward on that and get you that information. Or else our uh, Hudson number is 715-808-8981. Everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good day. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.